Cool. All right. Whitney Payton, thank you for coming on the podcast. Um, So like we talked about a little bit before we met at Cato's event when he was here in Arizona doing his sound advice tour, Uh, you were a special guest there. um, And so I followed you after that. We've kind of been in touch, but never really connected too much. Um, And one of the things about you that I found interesting was that in your bio, it says touring artist, And that's uh, kind of unusual. So I wanted to ask you about that because that is one of your your main things, right? Is that you tour and you've done a lot of touring. Yeah, I mean, I think there's there's different kinds, even within genres of what kind of artists are you? Like being a hip hop artist, to me, that's not just the only thing. It's kind of like, okay, but are you more of a studio artist? Are you more of a mm. performance artist? It's almost like not just separated by genres and I'm not saying everything has to fit into a box or be labeled or whatever but I do notice there's definitely kind of more artists who are geared toward live performance and stage and then artists who are just um you know writers and record and I do that as well but I think my stronger suit has always been like the live shows so, and I think it shows with my numbers. I almost, for a while there, I was a little imbalanced. Before before COVID, I was touring like 10 months out of the year. And I don't necessarily recommend that either because <laughs> you don't want to oversaturate yourself. So it's good to be on the road. But I was getting to the point where I was kind of almost overdoing it in a way. And I was getting really uh, strained. Like it was really strenuous and I was getting stressed out. So I do think as an artist, even if you have a preference, you you got to try to balance it so that you can, you know, grow your online platforms too. That's, that's also obviously very important right now. Right, right. So um, for those who don't know, you have toured with pretty much everyone. Uh, you want to <laughs> tell us about who you've toured with and I guess how you got into that? Yeah, I mean, luckily I've, I've gotten to the point where I've headlined as well, but as far as, you know, especially if I'm talking to up and coming artists, I think there's another thing with balance. I think it's important to balance touring with other acts that are bigger than you. And then when you get to a point where you can headline, you know, do so, but never feel too big to go out with another artist and, you know, cross over to their fans as well and get that cross promotion. But I think I started, I mean, I started like many other artists where I was just simply local. And then I kind of started doing more spot dates where it'd be like, oh, I have a show Friday and then uh, not like Saturday, I have another show from, like I'm from Philadelphia. So I would do a show in like Philly and then the next day I might have a show in Jersey or something. And in my mind at the time, I'm like, I'm killing it. I have two shows in a weekend. Like this is, I'm killing it. I'm a celebrity, (laughs) you know what I mean? Uh, But so I started doing that. And when I was playing a couple shows a month, I was just like thinking I was the shit. Um, And then learned real quick once I, ended up getting my first tour, which was with R.A. the Rugged Man and Potluck, who signed with Suburban Noise. Uh, That was like my first tour and I wasn't paid to be on it or anything like that. I had to make it work. I had to figure it out. And it wasn't really until then when I was touring nationally that I was like, oh, okay, this is like, you know, locally, it's easy to be like, I'm the, I'm a top dog here. I'm one of the (laughs) bigger artists around here. But once you start going to a lot of different other places, you realize just how big this world is and how many people just don't know you yet and also it's just different than to me just the realness of seeing people in person not just usernames online just makes it a totally different ball game because this is it's it's like okay this is real life like these people commenting on my videos and stuff this is I'm meeting you now this is crazy so um it's definitely a different world once you you get out there and it's difficult it's hard to do yeah so that's that's the thing i think a lot of artists have this idea of success or becoming like a popular artist and they're touring all the time and it's just really glamorous you know and you're going all these events um but those who have toured know that it's it is like a job i mean it's it's every oh yeah um, and it's not as glamorous. So, I mean, what did you like about touring? And then what kind of things were, were difficult for you? I mean, the things that I liked are kind of similar to what I just said, as far as meeting people, people and yeah, connecting yeah. with the people, seeing that they're not just usernames, uh, getting to, to show that, 
I mean, I think you're able to prove yourself the most in live performance because you're like, look, this is unedited. I have one chance to do it kind of thing. Um, And it's just energy. So even if you fuck up and I've fucked up so many times in my live show, like, (laughs) am I allowed to curse on this podcast? Of course. Yeah, please do. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I've fucked up so many times in my live show and I'll beat myself up afterwards. Like, oh, I shouldn't have missed this lyric or I shouldn't have. I put the second verse where the first verse was supposed to be, <laughs> you know, whatever. Uh, but it's just the realness of that. And I think the fans that are there just like seeing that you're also not just some sort of entity online, you're an actual mm. person. And I've noticed that even if, you know, you mess up here or there, you're putting your all your energy into it, you're putting your heart into it. Uh, everyone can really tell and everyone's just there to have a good time. So I think you're able to really bond with everybody and it's a whole different kind of energy than just putting uh, putting something online you don't get to feel that energy as you know when you're doing it in front of a live audience but then on that same note I mean it's very strenuous there's not you don't get a lot of sleep um a lot of people think that you can jump into this and you're just all of a sudden some like wealthy artist it really costs a lot of money to tour in the way of your overhead so even if you're getting paid X amount of dollars per night, you still got to pay your crew, still got to pay your hotel, still got to pay your transportation. So it eats that real fast, you know, and then that's not even including the bills you got to pay back home. So sometimes you're paying for an apartment, like I'll go out on tour for months and I'm like sending money back to an apartment that I'm not even living in while I'm also getting hotels every single night, you know? So it's kind of, um, it's like any business where you have to put money into it prior to making anything back and definitely, you miss a lot of things. You miss miss birthdays. You miss holidays. Um, you just have to be willing to sacrifice that kind of thing. It definitely hurts your social life too. Like friends will stop hitting you up for stuff because it's like you're on tour and every time they hit you up, you can't hang yeah. out. So it's like you you definitely live kind of a different life than someone with the normal nine to five. And it's totally worth it if you're doing what you love, but it's not this like hyped up thing that you're seeing in music videos and stuff where these where people are like renting cars to put in their videos or like getting nice ass places it's like I mean unless you're a major artist and even then if it's a full tour you're not just staying at like some Ritz Carlton every single night right <laughs> you know like even even big ones unless they're like so big that they're just flying into every day you know what I mean but it's pretty it's pretty hectic out there yeah, definitely. And yeah, all those points are great. Like you have to pay your other bills. You have to try and maintain your relationships outside of what you have yeah. going on as a tour. And that gets really tough. Um, so I guess if we go back to when you got on your first tour with uh, R.A. the Rugged Man, how many shows had you done prior to that tour? And I guess, how did you set yourself up to get on that tour? Dude, I feel like I was thrown into the fire a little <laughs> bit. <laughs> yeah. Um, I definitely... I wasn't new to performing when I got onto the tour, but I think I just, well, first of all, I did Ari the Rugged Man and Potluck right into, like directly into a 3-6 Mafia tour. And pretty much I had already established a relationship with Gangsta Boo from 3-6 Mafia. So we were friends. We had already collaborated on songs, things like that. And I kind of hit her up and put her in her ear like hey like if you need support on the tour I come on the tour like um I'm, she already knows that I'm easy to work with and I'm not gonna be some diva on the mm. tour <laughs> I'm not gonna get in fights with anybody I'm not gonna you know because that's the that's the thing too it's not just um being appealing with your numbers and and all that it's the relationships you have with the other artists that you're trying to tour with and it's also are you easy to tour with? Because you're seeing these people every day for long periods of time. You can't be trying to bring artists on tour that are known for fucking up hotel rooms, getting everyone in trouble, not showing up to certain dates, uh, coming late all the time, making them look bad. Because even if you're not, you know, I'm not in three, six mafia, but they could still be like, who's this girl that's on the tour with them? Just like Mm -hmm. making them you know, just like showing up late, acting like she's the shit kind of thing. Like you could piss a lot of people off. So I think just being easy to work with period is just like one of your best things. Cause it doesn't matter if you have like a million followers on Spotify or whatever, people are like, Oh, that person, like, you know, no one's going to want to tour with you. So I think I already had the relationship luckily with Gangsta Boo. So that kind of helped get that tour. And I had 
um, just different agents looking at me that were interested in me. So that someone helped me get the potluck tour, but again, it wasn't something I was compensated for. So I was paid on the three, six tour. I think maybe like a hundred bucks a night, 200 bucks a night or something like that. Like it wasn't anything, you know, I, I started out, uh, really, really small and, I lost a lot of money on the potluck tour because I wasn't getting paid, but I'm still paying money. You know, I'm still helping pay for gas. I was still helping. Um, we were splitting a lot of expenses and we're paying for that still in hotel rooms and mm. stuff like that. So um, yeah, I was able to get that because an agent was looking to pick me up because I had already done a bunch of shows and I was starting to get my numbers online up and just more people were hearing about me. I was friends with a lot of artists. I was collaborating with a lot of other artists on their projects so my name was just kind of out there and once you kind of get one thing and it comes from building these relationships it can really domino effect into everything else because I remember I had done several tours before I had a set agent or manager like I had no manager uh on the potluck tour I had no manager on the three six mafia tour at all <laughs> and oh. it was like I said back to back into each other 40 dates was the potluck tour 60 dates was the three six mafia tour so i did 100 shows within such a small period of time and that was my first being on tour which i i don't recommend it because if something goes wrong you know you're you're out in the middle of nowhere i would i would start small but i just like was like this is all or nothing kind of thing so wow. i did 100 shows before i even came back home and I was like, okay, <laughs> I went from little leagues to big leagues real quick. And then doing all those started just uh, getting more tours for me because other agents or just promoters or whatever would be at the shows and be like, holy shit, like this girl's wild. Like she's jumping on the crowd. She's like hanging off her rafters. I did all that from the very beginning of knowing, knowing who the fuck I was. I didn't care if there's 10 people in the crowd. I didn't care if there's a thousand people, you know what I mean? I was doing all this same shit and, um, you know, it was just going over really well. And then you'd see lines at my merch booth right after my set, because on stage I'd be like, Hey, like after the show, I'm going to be at my merch booth the entire night. Like I'm going to be there uh, to say what's up to everybody. And it just like drove a lot of people over there. And I would just make myself really approachable and present and out there. I, I wouldn't come out until I was doing my set, but then after my set, I'd be in the crowd the whole time. And as an opener, there's still people a lot of people after me performing, you know what I mean? So I would be out in the crowd for a good, like two, three hours after I performed. So I just made myself really available, especially at the beginning. Now it's harder because I'll lose my voice, you know, <laughs> but I just think that's one of the things that helped me grow too, because I didn't just like come on stage, then go up and then leave and go back to the hotel or something, or like stay in the green room the whole time. Right after I would perform, I would just immediately uh, go right out into the crowd and just be there and be in, you know, by my table. And I still do that to this day, you know, as the headliner, I'll do that. I'll, you know, come out for my set and then I'll be like, I'm going right to the merch table and like get off stage and literally go right there. Uh, just make up the half off my face and just like looking like Harley Quinn with my <laughs> lipstick everywhere being a girl, you know, it's, it's yeah. tough sometimes on the road, but yeah. So I think that that just really helped me because then two promoters would come up to my merch table or like the sometimes the venue owners would be there or like just agents and different people and they would come up to the table and, be, and say something about it or give me their information. And I just kept networking and uh, just talking to these people and calling them back, emailing them back. And that's just like really what catapulted it all. Wow. Yeah, so there's a lot of gems in there. Um, the first thing is that you said yes to an opportunity, even though it was probably going to cost you money rather than, you know, pay you, because that's what you got to do. I mean, even if you're just trying to open for someone else and sell tickets, like sometimes you got to eat those tickets, you know, you do whatever it takes to get that opportunity. And that's what you did. And then not only did you do that, but you stepped up and you had these amazing shows where, like you said, you were going crazy, you're making an impact. Um, you didn't get intimidated by it. And then going off into the crowd after and staying at your merch table, getting to meet everyone one-on-one. -on -one, that is, 
I think by far the best way to build a fan base is by talking to people after a show at the venue. I think everyone is feeling that energy. You know, they get to see you yeah. as a person like, oh, she just performed. I'm meeting her. She's taking a picture with me. You know, and, and it, it really builds that connection. And like you said, you know, you make the connection with the venue too. And now they know Whitney Payton does amazing shows. We want her back any chance we can get. Um, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I mean, yeah, I mean, that's really what it, what it's about. I, I wish too. I'm learning from a lot of different artists too, because I'm trying to translate that energy to more of the internet stuff because I've always been, and I'm a, I'm a young artist, but I've toured like three, six mafia, Ari the Rugged Man. Like I've toured with some of the biggest OGs in the game, especially starting out really early. So they're about in-person everything right. like when they were selling their album they were selling it on street corner <laughs> yeah. at, the, at, at the beginning you know obviously these are really big artists but they're about very like uh face-to-face -face interactions and everything so i kind of that's how i learned because i was thrown into the fire with all the the ogs and more like some of them golden era and everything so i was kind of taught to um yeah put on a good show and meet everybody and shake hands with everyone and have not everything just be uh through the phone or whatever just have it be face to face so i almost am like still a young artist with an old school like mm. mentality so i'm trying to translate that too i'm like how can i show some of this like crowd surfing energy in my recordings more like i think i've come a long way with like delivery because of that and then also how can i translate the numbers and everything to everyone caring about you know spotify right now everyone caring about TikTok, everyone caring about YouTube. It's like, how do I, yeah. you know, a lot of artists probably have to challenge themselves and, or they do the opposite where they have amazing numbers, but they can't get people in the club. Like, right. cause I've toured with artists. I've done it all. Like you said, I've toured with all different kinds of artists um, at the beginning, more so the, the older ones are golden era, but I've also toured with artists that are like super viral and have like millions of views on things, but can't draw really anyone in person. So I've seen both sides. Like I've seen like not that big on the internet, but massive in person or massive on the internet, but can't really bring that many people to a show. So it's like really interesting to see the difference. Yeah. And that's so true. I mean, uh, especially with the, the new age of technology and especially on TikTok, being able to become viral and instantly yeah. known so quickly overnight that nobody really knows who you are as an artist. They don't know your music, even if you do go viral. And so, yeah, there are a lot of cases where you're famous online, but you can't actually get any fans to come out to a show because that's not what they come to you for. They come for the memes or the 15-second <laughs> TikToks. You know? Yeah, it's so true. <laughs> I came for the memes. Yeah, because I mean, if someone's famous off of TikTok and you might really know them from that, if you see a flyer or something, they're coming through town, is it enough, like a, a 10 second TikTok enough to make you actually like make plans, drive out to this club, like buy tickets, like for this 10 seconds that you know this person for? That's that's what's really difficult yeah. being an artist these days. So let's go back um, because you said you didn't have any type of management. Um, what Was it tough not having like a team or any kind of support like that? Uh, when you started touring? I think it became tough. So that's when I did, like needed a manager. So that's kind of, that's another thing I guess I would tell up and coming artists. I don't think managers are there to just simply blow you up, take right. you from nothing to something. I mean, I'm not, I'm not downplaying managers. Like no, they can't, no. <laughs> like some, some maybe can, but they're there to manage what you have going on and hopefully be able to get you more opportunities. Of course, you know, you definitely want a manager who has either a big Rolodex or they're just willing to try to put themselves out there and make the connection if they don't have it. Uh, but I think I just didn't have a manager right out the gate because I was able and capable of doing everything myself at the time. And it wasn't until I felt completely overwhelmed that I thought I might need management. And even then I was approached by a lot of people. You want to kind of get to the point where you have people hitting you up because right. you are so in everyone's face and it's just like, they can't, you make it, make yourself known, make it until they can't not hit you up. Basically. It's like, finally, right. once they've heard your name like five times, they're like, okay, fuck, <laughs> who is, who is, who is this girl? or who is this dude or who, whatever. And then they go look you up and they're like, okay, like I'm, I'm into it. 
I see what they're going for. So like make it until they want to come to you kind of thing. But you, I really feel like you need to be at a point where you have too much on your plate and you can't handle it. And that's kind of when it's time to, to have management because you are giving this person a commission. So why give them it's almost like why give them a percentage if, if you're not first of all if you're not even making money right. what's really in it for them to get a percentage of what <laughs> you know mm-hmm. and then why give a percentage if it's what you would be making with or without them why <laughs> be giving a percentage if it's something if they're going to help take you the next level and help if you're overwhelmed and you can't take on all the work and you are missing out on becoming bigger because you cannot handle your schedule you can't handle uh, writing these emails back and do all that. That's when you need someone to step in and it's going to make everything bigger and hopefully make you money and them money because that's that's the whole point. You know, you want them right. to make money too, but it's kind of difficult if they come in and you already weren't making enough, you know, like yeah. that's that's tough. You want it to to work out for everyone, you know. Right. And that's that's a really good point. You want it to be where you have so much going on that people start coming to you because First off, um, it gives you leverage. You know, if you're reaching out to people, you're approaching them from kind of like a position of weakness. Whereas if they're coming to you, now you have leverage. It's like, okay, you came to me. What can you do for me? And you have a negotiation ability. Um, and then the other thing you said is probably the most common answer when asked, when should you get a manager? It's when you have something to manage. You got to have something going on for them to actually yeah. help out with or elevate. Um, and yeah, it is a business. It is a business relationship. And if you're not making money, they can't make money. Um, and also, like you said, a manager isn't someone who's just going to step in and all of a sudden you're famous and you've made it. Yeah. You know, that's not how that works. There's someone to join your team, support you and help you elevate um, in ways that you couldn't do it yourself. But yeah, that's a really good point that you didn't start off looking for a manager. You did everything you could until it got overwhelming. And then you had people reaching out to you already. So organically is how it happened pretty much. Yeah, it did. A lot of, luckily, a lot of things in my career happened organically because I was just focusing on the goals of what can, what opportunities can I get for myself rather than who can I get to get me the opportunities. And it just looking at it that way really helped. And it, it makes people want to work with you because they'll want to match your work ethic. Like I noticed, you know, anyone who works with me, if they see me up all night, like doing all this different things, they're like, I better freaking <laughs> step it up, you know, yeah. because then they'll be uh, trying to to do it and match that, you know? So it's like, everyone's on the same team here that you all want the same thing, obviously mm-hmm. it, it, for it to grow and And yeah, I mean, when it comes to, for me, when it comes to managers as well, I don't care as much about connection as I do drive. So even if they don't have the right connections and I call them and I'm like, do you know who we're, you know, who's the promoter of this festival? Cause I really want to play it. Who's the talent buyer, blah, blah, blah. Even if they're like, no, I don't, but I'm going to figure it out and I'm going to try to hit them up. Then we're going to, you know, I'll see if anyone else does. and, And I can talk to them about this person or whatever. Like that's, really all you need and you need the drive and commitment and they need to believe in you as much as you do you know like they need to believe in your music and hopefully they're telling their barber and the cashier at the grocery (laughs) store and everything like that the new song coming out like (laughs) you know here's the info like that's that's the energy that we need yeah you want them to be your biggest fan and right you know for me when I started working with Oren the reason I agreed to it beyond just wanting to be in the music industry was that I was telling people he's going to make it with or without me. I want to be a part of this. I want to help him out. And, you know, like that's, that's how you got to be. And like you said, when they see you working that hard, whoever's on your team, whether it be a manager or just support, they're going to work as hard too. You know, you, you got to work that hard. And that's what I saw with the artists that I manage. Um, So that's a really good point. But you also talked about how with the touring and having to convert from, you know, the in-person fan base that you had to more of the digital side um, and how that was kind of a difficulty. And then with COVID happening, how there was no more shows, I guess, what was that transition like and what kind of stuff have you been focusing on? Um, I almost, in a way, I needed it. Obviously, I didn't want it to come at the expense of anyone's lives or any craziness, you know, that happened during COVID. But I really was getting to the point where I, you know, I was talking to everyone on my team and my friends and my family and everything. And I was like, guys, I'm 
at the point where I'm almost going to have a mental breakdown. We need to, we need to like, uh, switch gears a little bit and focus on recording and internet. I was really letting all my internet stuff fall to the wayside because I was doing real life, you know, appearances and everything. And it's, it's awesome and important to be in the present, the present and be in real life, of course. Um, and not just behind a computer screen all day. So I definitely am grateful for all of it, but I, I really thought it was unbalanced at the time. I would do so many shows that when it came time to recording a new album, I'd have like two weeks to do it. Like I'd come home from a tour and it would be like, okay, you're only home from this date to this date. Then you go out on your next tour. Not only do you have to record a full album if you want another album to come out. And at the time, you know, the last couple albums I've signed the labels for. So now I also have deadlines from labels, not just my own, you know? So they're like, if you want, an album to come out this year or whatever which i've consecutively released an album year they're like you need to turn it in by this time frame and i'd have to write record an album and figure out my set my crew like rehearse and everything for the next tour as well so i had to come up with the new music uh you know rehearse the the music i was going to do on tour pick my crew uh practice with if I was using a live band or not, or a DJ, it was just, I felt really rushed and it was hectic. And I feel like while I was polishing all of my performance skills, I was really like letting go of my writing. And it's, it's a totally different animal. Like, even though I'm rapping every day on the road, it's just different than sitting there and songwriting every day. I didn't really get a chance to do that. So I felt like I was you know, lacking more in my writing and recording as opposed to my live show. I'm like, that's, it's well and good that I feel very strong as a live performer, but I'm not going to have anything to perform if I can't like write, write a decent song and have enough time to do so and not feel like, you know, ultimately as an artist, you want to record as many songs as you can and then choose from those songs, what's going to make it, you know, on, especially when it was like more so you're dropping albums. Now it's kind of singles, but Mm. like, a couple years ago, like when it was still kind of really all about the album, you'd want to just do so many songs and then cut out any filler songs. Be like, oh, that's not strong enough to make it. That's not strong. Like every song I wrote had to make it because I just didn't have time. So if I wrote 10 songs, all those 10 songs, that's what it is. You know, that's what the album is. There's no, (laughs) there's no like overdo it and then choose from there or just like, this was just a demo. I was just testing it. It was like, no, like everything I wrote had to be like not waste time and like throw away verse and stuff like that. So um, not, you know, I still put my all into it, but it was just uh, different when I had this whole past year to actually become better. And I think I did become better. Like, I think it, it helped me greatly to be able to sit here and actually listen through a lot of beats and have time to not just be like, okay, you only have an archive of this many beats. Like you have to use one of these, you have to like, that's kind of how I felt before. And now I'm like going through like hundreds and hundreds of things. Like I'm able to kind of take time with it. And then the next day I can decide if I hate it or not. Like (laughs) if I don't want to turn it in or whatever, it's not like uh, record. Okay. Bounce out the track. Okay. Send it to the label. Like, holy shit. Like now I can like sit for, for a little bit and be like, okay, yeah, I still fuck with it. Or like the mix needs to be changed or this needs to be changed. It'd be like, no, like you got to turn it in right away. So it was, it was kind of, that part was just as hectic as tour, to be honest. Right. Yeah, that sounds stressful. I mean, yeah. because it's already hard enough um, when your livelihood depends on your ability to make music, like being creative and getting out emotions and connecting with people, like that stuff's hard. And to be able to sit down and make a bunch of music and kind of pick the best ones to put out versus being forced to rush and create um, and have to go with whatever you made, like that sounds really stressful. Um, so I guess over the past yeah, few and years, I mean, time, people could definitely be like, oh, what was me? You get to make music for a living. So <laughs> I'm, I'm grateful for it. It's just, yeah, with your art, like a painter or whatever, if you're like, you have this much time to do the painting or this much time, like the, they're always going to want the longer period of time right. to really uh, think about it and put emotion into it. And too, with touring so much, not only did I have very little time to write, but think about like, I had a lot of experiences on tour, but what am I writing about? I can only write about being on tour. Like I can only, right. I have to have other life experiences to to write about that. Cause 
just writing about being on tour, that's not relatable to a lot of people. That's not going to be, uh, <laughs> I can't make a full album about uh, being in the green room. Like, that's not, <laughs> you um, know, that's not going to gonna fly. With so. the pandemic, did you have time to, to get to experience those things, to kind of live a normal life for a little bit and have something to write about? Yeah, I mean, as normal as I guess the pandemic, <laughs> there was some craziness, but it did, it did get, let me reset. It kind of let me emotionally uh, reset and kind of catch up with myself because, I mean, when you're going, going, and in like different cities, you don't know what time it is. There's time differences. There's weather differences. There's different things. Um, you just feel kind of out of body most of the time and just nonstop. So it, it gave me a minute to be a little more grounded and uh, appreciate it too because it's like oh I haven't been at home for a while this is weird like you love that person and you're like okay when am I going on tour like you're so <laughs> used to it um it's like Tom Hanks and Castaway where he yeah. like finally gets home from being on the island and he just sits on the floor and he just like doesn't know what to do <laughs> right. that's kind of like how it feels at first because it's a little shocking but um I am grateful for the time and I I did get better I learned how to record myself better because the last several things I've engineered myself I said I've you know worked on my home studio I I make a lot of my own graphics so I got better at graphics I got better at a lot of different aspects aside from just the performance so I was able to like sharpen up my tools in those other departments too because I'm a very hands-on artist so I do a lot of those things. I do a lot of the like photography for my socials. Like sometimes I tripod the camera and a lot of those, oh, yeah. not all of them, but there are a ton of promo shots that are on like, whether it be my Instagram or whatever that I took that people don't realize, but I tripoded them and I took those, shots, <laughs> you know, but it's just because it's, I'm kind of like an introvert and it's like what I kind of have to do to create. I like to be able to do it and, there's a lot of better photographers than me, better rappers, better whatever, but the less people that touch your art, the more you it is. Mm -hmm. So even if some graphic designer could do it better than me or someone could do it, it's like, it becomes less and less me. So right. I think when you're an artist, you really want to make sure you're very involved in storyboarding your music videos, or, you know, if you don't make graphics or whatever, at least like, have a good idea as to what you want that you can really express to the person so they can get it as close as possible so like anything that you can't do yourself at least try to to envision it and give the other person the information as to what you're looking for because it's going to just become less and less you I think branding is very important I think when you use a bunch of different people all the time uh, people can tell that it's not like right. kind of the same it looks too kind of all over the place and that's also like a big mistake I made early on. I think it's important to work with a lot of different people, but once you kind of find what's working for you, like stick to that because you want to have a certain look and a certain um, the way your videos are edited and a certain you know way your voice is mixed and a certain thing like that because it becomes just your thing and very recognizable. Right, yeah, that consistency is very important. And yeah. when I think about that, Russ is one of the people that comes to mind, whether you like him or hate him, a lot of people have feelings about him, but all of his cover <laughs> art are very consistent. And then all of his music videos are directed and shot by the same person. And because of that, everything has a very consistent like aesthetic and feel. Um, and when you see something, you know it's his right away. And I like the example of him too, because he's an artist that records himself, mixes himself. Um, he, he's very hands-on and like you said, whether you like, or like him or hate him, I mean, he's become successful and this is like, it took him like 12 to 15 albums. I forget how many albums. Yeah. It wasn't like the first one because, and he says it all the time because he's very proud of the fact that he kept going and it took him like 20 albums or something right. to, to pop off. And if you would have stopped, I mean, yeah, I think that says a lot. Right. So I guess I didn't know you were signed to a label. Um, and with, you know, having that creative control, that's kind of one of the complaints a lot of artists have with being with the labels that they didn't get to control how their image was or how their music sounded. Did you feel any of that when you were signed to a label? Um, I think I would have felt that more if I was signed to like Sony or mm. Interscope or anything, but I was signed to, I've, I've had two deals now 
the first one being with Tragic Hero, that is a rock label that oh. they used to have like Sleeping With Sirens and just different artists like that signed with them. I was the first rapper signed <laughs> with the label. So in a way, I kind of was into that because I like doing unorthodox like moves with my career, which mm um that really goes against like the consistency that we were just talking about i think there's there's times where i've taken it too far where like i've toured with every single kind of different person and i try to show that i'm versatile but it's also hurt me because it's not consistent with what genre i'm doing with what my branding Mm. is so i think the biggest thing that's hindered me is not that they're telling me what to do but i'm trying to kind of cater toward maybe that more so i'm doing more rock stuff and then this time i'm doing more pop and then this time i'm doing this and yeah it it shows it challenges you and it shows your versatility but again it's just not that consistency you kind of need when people hear you they want to hear kind of a specific thing and Mm -hmm. even if you fuse genres you kind of got to be consistent with the way you do it and like post malone's done that great and so has like machine gun kelly Mm -hmm. um and artists like that but yeah i signed to tragic hero and my distro was through warner brothers um that was the first time i was ever like in stores and and the last Mm -hmm. because then that became not a thing that happens like people don't really do cds in stores anymore but it was like right at the cusp like tail end of it you know what i mean so and that was a couple of years ago and I was seeing my records in like uh, like FYE and Best Buy and Target and uh, uh, Zia Records around what here. What did that and feel that, like? That, I knew that it was kind of the end of the era. So I was happy uh. that I kind of got that in for my childhood self. So <laughs> it was more for me <laughs> to be like, I'm in stores, even though no one cares about physical as much anymore i i care that i'm in here and you know the diehard fans and the collectors they they still cared and they rallied around me and i'm really lucky i did um when that happened i did like 4200 first week it was my firecracker record and uh so far as far as like sales of the full album goes because of the fact it was when cds were still like a thing that still remains like my best first week uh, for an oh. album and this is I've released like two albums since then but uh, that was like real massive for me because before that I was releasing things independently but I wasn't like registered with SoundScan I wasn't <laughs> I was just ghetto like I was just, <laughs> you know doing it gangster style I was selling my CDs at like merch booths and um, I had stuff on iTunes or whatever but it wasn't nothing was really being counted. It wasn't done correctly at all. Again, this was before I had management. Like I had, I, I eventually had to get all these people because I had nothing legit. Like it was very uh, DIY and it was crushing it. And people were seeing that I was killing it, but I didn't have anything really documentation to back it. Like I didn't have tr- like keep track of a bunch of my sales. I would just, mm. we keep track of the money, what's going in and out, but that's like nothing's itemized, nothing's <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> nothing's like really broken down so I started to need the help with that but then yeah I got management I got an agent I then you know did a couple more tours signed to Tragic Hero Records I did two albums with them because after I released Firecracker uh, they picked me up for a second album because it was an option in my contract like mm-hmm. they had the option to pick me up for another one and they took it because you know luckily I was doing really well and still doing well not going with <laughs> but then i i fulfilled my obligation with tragic hero and then i decided okay i really either need to just be independent or if i sign again i really want to sign with a hip-hop label because you know i just think signing to a rock label was really awkward for me because something i didn't consider is that when i signed to a label suddenly all my music was being released through their platforms meaning like okay even though it was on spotify and all that like YouTube, like their my music videos were, were being released through the Tragic Hero YouTube, and they had more subscribers than me and everything. So in my mind, I want that. However, if they're subscribed to them, especially for being like a heavier rock label, it my music was really shocking to their fan base. So <laughs> you would see such a mix, like it was not working out for me as well as as I thought, because, you know, my, my videos would go up and you would see my hardcore fans commenting and being stoked and everything. But then you would see uh, the rock fans who had no idea what was going on. And they'd be like, why is this girl rapping? Why is, 
like what right. what is this like why is this here kind of thing because they only saw like heavier full bands or like more experimental bands and stuff so I was totally not in the realm of what they would listen to so I kind of you know had pros and cons to it but um, I remember that was a big learning curve for me of being like oh I'm being put on their platforms and it's not built up with my followers I got to send my followers there and then also uh, their followers are not really into hip-hop so it's kind of like trying to win over a bunch of people I remember like the dislike bar would be like all the way over and then I'd be getting it back once I get my followers to come over it was really strange because I had never really had that happen before and then um, I signed a Suburban Noise which is Cottonmouth King's label uh, which is more like the stoner rap kind of label so Mad Child's over there Big B, Cottonmouth King's, um, Head P.E., and everything and uh, and those guys are like the ogs too so that's that's pretty cool uh but again they're like more of the ogs so they had very kind of og way of doing things which i learned a lot from but also i was like hey guys tiktok you know <laughs> things like that and i think yeah. they just were very new new to that but uh, you know i still have i released alpha through them all of these you know albums released through the labels made it high on billboard and i'm very grateful for that and i've done well and i still have certain songs that will be releasing through Subnoise. but as of right now i'm just going to be releasing things you know moving forward independently for the time being because i did alpha through Subnoise, and i think um a lot of people don't realize that was my album that i was signed for i think people uh-huh. think duration of time they don't really think in the way of just albums, you know, when you're signed to a label, right. a lot of times it's in the way of like how many albums do you have with that label? Uh, so I'm sure a lot of people still think that I am signed with Suburban Noise, but uh, yeah, they're, they'll they'll find out, I guess, Friday <laughs> when everything <laughs> releases. Right. But yeah, uh, but yeah, they're still all cool. So all these labels are fine. I'm not, you know, coming at anybody. It's just seeing the different experiences with, you know, putting out music through them. Yeah, that's a great perspective. And it's, um, it's almost similar to my world, uh, a little bit with playlists, like if you get a song on the wrong genre of playlists. And I remember um, when I first started working with Oren, he was telling me about this playlist company. This was back in the day, like 2016, 2017. Um, and one of his friends had paid to get a song on one of these campaigns. It ended up getting on like a country playlist. And so it did horrible just horrible like because nobody was there for that they were there for country music and same with uh the record they were there to listen to rock music and when hip-hop comes on it's not that the music isn't good it's that you're in front of the wrong audience it's the wrong demographic for it and that's yeah that's a great lesson and yeah so it's like being signed to maybe a label that's not the right genre for you is like every single one of your songs and music videos is on the wrong playlist that's that's kind of like what it feels like and then it that that can't hurt you because uh you know probably so much more about spotify than i know but i'm under the impression that if people are skipping your song that's kind of almost negative marks for you right uh, behind the scenes to spotify right as far as maybe placing you on any additional playlist they can see your skip rate right i think so i don't yeah, i don't know is that exactly. something we know is that knowledge yeah yeah so <laughs> yeah so i mean if you if you put out a song let's say you're not signed you put out a song by yourself and it gets a thousand plays and uh all the people listen to it like it they save it they keep listening to it that's really good that tells spotify yeah. hey let's try it out on some algorithms if you sign to a bigger label and even if they have you know lots more in their audience or you get on a big playlist with a lot of listeners and you get ten thousand or a hundred thousand streams but it gets skipped every single time and no one saves it that's bad ratios and it, it kind of hurts your chances at going further with it so just like you said like having all your music on the wrong playlist is kind of what that was like <laughs> yeah see so you can make it's it just even if a company can do things for you because they can get you opportunities you just really got to make sure they're the right opportunities i mean right. and as a hungry artist it's hard to turn any down like if you're like these people believe in me and they want to work with me yes like i i want that but it, it might not be right. So that's the thing you got to consider as well. Like, okay, well, is their audience, the same audience as mine is, you know, they can do this and that for me. They can get me in this rock playlist, but is that going to be the right, right playlist for me? So that's kind of, uh, 
yeah, it turned into me interviewing you. About <laughs> no, that's fine. It's an informal podcast. But so did you feel that at all with the shows, though? Because you said you, you toured with everyone, you open up with everyone, you played with everyone. Um, I would imagine it'd be kind of a similar situation. Or does the live experience kind of help with that? You That's a good question, because you would think that but I think at the end of the day, people just want to be entertained. So mm. when it is live, if you're doing like the most, like I have confetti cannons and I'm <laughs> jumping on people and I'm doing all this stuff. It's just kind of like, I don't know, like even if I'm not the typical genre you would listen to, I think I can tend to win people over more live than with my recordings because it's just a different energy you go out to the to the bar or something and you're like yeah i'm gonna go check out this artist if some country artist comes out and you're at a hip-hop club you're gonna be like what the heck is this but then if they're doing all this crazy right. stuff or you might be like okay this is not what i came here to see but i'm not mad about it <laughs> like right. so i'm just gonna be drunk and dance around and this is what i came for so i think people come to have a good time and to let loose and as long as you're able to provide that for them the only thing that yeah, like where it might not connect is, are they going to go home and then add my songs to their mm. playlist? I don't know. Like they might have liked them in person, be like, oh yeah, she has skill, but that's not like my normal thing. I can acknowledge that there's talent. I can acknowledge that that probably wasn't easy to rap while you're upside down hanging from a rafter, <laughs> but that's not my normal thing. I'm going to go like uh, bump in my car later. I might, you know, have some people come up to me and be like, yo, my sister would love you. So I'm going to buy her a shirt or, hmm. my, you know, my girlfriend or daughter or whoever. So like, you know, sometimes I do have people like recommend me to family members. Um, but, but yeah, that was, that was a difficult thing as well. Like if I'm on a tour with, uh, a totally different artist that that's the challenge too is getting people to actually then go home and get you know continue listening to your music when mm. you're not performing all right okay so like you said friday you have a project coming out is it a full-fledged album the the project coming out friday is called give it gas and it is the single that will kind of okay. kick off a series of uh singles that i'm going to be dropping throughout the entire summer so mm. I'm kind of, you know, taking the way different approach than what my fan base is used to, which was just touring, 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 drop major album drop, like big pre-order setup, big thing like that. I'm kind of switching that around to do more like weekly releases and singles to just hit them more spread out so that they have, they're consuming everything rather than, you know, you drop a whole album and now it's kind of like, do they listen from front to the uh, front to back all that work and uh you know what is what's the single what's the filler track everything's kind of the single now so that's okay. that's the approach i'm taking friday i'm dropping a dropping the song the following friday i'm dropping a music video and then the friday after that i actually already have a remix to the song submitted for okay. distro so that's going to be coming out and that has some pretty heavy hitters on it which i can't reveal yet but okay uh, we'll see they got to like basically unlock it. We got to run up the views and unlock that, uh, <laughs> that remix. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, and that's, that's you know, like you said, are they going to listen to it front to back? And the, the whole industry has changed over from project releases to at least a few lead singles, if not all singles. And, you know, like you said, Russ, he was one of the first people to do that because what he said was he noticed every album that's come out, the most listened to song is the first one because everyone's going to start the album, but whether or not yeah. they get to the end of it is not as clear. So with you dropping singles, I think that'll have a, a really good effect, especially with Spotify and, you know, the algorithms that, that are going on right now. And plus the attention span. I mean, today's kids and the audience, it's such a short attention span where we're used to having nonstop content. And if you don't hear from an artist or you don't hear new music from an artist for a few months, you totally forget about them, you know? And so I think yeah. it's a really good idea. And that's crazy. That's like definitely a lot of pressure as an artist <laughs> to be like, we don't yeah. want to be forgotten. <laughs> right. So, okay, so you got these coming out and then um, are you planning on getting back on the road when things start opening up or is it going to be more of a like a balanced approach of singles and shows or what are you feeling? Yeah, yeah, I, I plan on it's, it's going to likely be in the fall that I'm going to do shows again because it's hard to kind of do full tours with certain states right. not being very clear on what's going on. Some are 
everything's open, some aren't. So that's, it's kind of hard to do a fully routed tour at, at this time, but I'm gonna kind of release all these singles uh, so that I have something new also to bring to my live shows so that I can give the fans something fresh. Um, and I wanna see how they do. I wanna be like, I feel like I have a lot to prove uh, releasing these songs independently. Mm. And I wanna see how it goes and if we can take it back to like the grassroots approach of how I kind of started where it was more of like a big movement um, and yeah, see where that goes. And then hopefully this fall, I'll be back on the road. That's crazy. You keep saying like, take it back. And you're so young as an artist. Like it's, it's crazy to me. You've been take doing it, back it for so to long the, already. To the selling out of your trunk. Take it back to the, the grassroots, like the drawing board, you know? Right. So I want to talk about the shows a little bit because you mentioned some of the, you get crazy. So where did you get, come up with these ideas to like hang from the rafters? And uh, <laughs> like, how did you like as a young artist starting out, getting thrown to the wolves on these big tours and then coming out and doing these amazing shows well I knew too like I wanted people if they watch me on mute to not know what genre I'm doing like oh. not be able to look at the stage and be like okay she's rapping or she's doing this like I liked I was always more into rap because I started doing spoken word first and then a transition into me being an MC. but like I was always about the rock star approach of performance and I mm. thought like I was taking the best from all of my idols, the best things about them. So it's like when it came to style and like how I kind of dressed and pre uh, presented myself, it was very like Gwen Stefani and Pink that I was like, oh, these guys are Missy Elliott, like mm -hmm. with the music videos and how she had like really quirky music videos and stuff. And it was like uh, Eve was kind of, and Lisa Left Eye was like more how I kind of found my flow when I was super, super young, you know what I mean? Elementary school and all wow. this. And then like, I was like, oh, I wanna be like them. And then the performance aspect, it was kind of, once I started being more in tune with indie artists, I was watching artists like Tech 9 I was mm. watching, you know, some of these guys and it was, they had a different, I feel like underground artists have a lot to prove and they don't have as much in the way of, production on stage because they don't have all this crazy pyro all the time and it's all just you it's not mm -hmm. relying on um all that stuff so I always figured you know even if I blew up to being a stadium artist I won't be scared at all because it's performing on smaller stages to smaller audiences is way more scary to me than like massive audience and stadiums because you it, it's just you it's so intimate and it's just you and you have to be the whole show kind of thing so um i knew that if i was going to get people to listen i had to deliver it in a crazy way like unique way and i had a lot to prove as far as like why is she on this tour um i would definitely hear people saying things like that wow. like especially when i was on the three six mafia tour it was kind of like how she fit on this like why is she here i'm a way better rapper than her i should be on this show I should be this should be me on this tour this should, and you just have a lot to prove as an artist coming up as to why you're there like why is this your spot and then even as the headliner even when you're you as the headliner why are you the headliner why like so come out there and make it so they can't even quit like that's why like this right. is why like so you, you gotta you gotta bring it every single night and um that's you know that what I think every time before I go on stage and I still think like that and I still am nervous before I go on stage because I feel like they paid to come see like especially if I'm headlining I'm more nervous because it's like they paid to come see me this you know I gotta make it worth it for them the, like right. worth their money and I have a great time doing it I gotta make sure they're having equally as good of, as the time as I am so yeah. yeah that's why wow yeah that's I mean that's so awesome that you were able to step up like that because it is not an easy thing I mean trying especially when you're opening and you're opening for someone big it's like yeah you have to convince these people that you deserve to be there and that you earned the spot that you're performing for did it was there any like uh like learning curve or did did, did it ever get you down when when you're feeling those ways and people were talking about you like that um and you know just having started on the tour was it ever difficult to to fill those shoes and, and perform? Yeah, I mean, I would consider myself, even though it seems like I'm like loud and crazy, I would consider myself a pretty socially anxious person, actually. So um, just getting nervous before going on stage, that's like 
yeah it's like public speaking when you would be in class and be like oh don't make me do my like uh yeah my speech or whatever that you're that you're supposed to do it's it's that same kind of uh feeling but at some point your passion kind of outweighs your fear so I was like well if it's something that I really want to do I gotta get over the fact that I have a hard time getting up in front of people and I already knew that I was different kind of for what I was doing and now luckily I mean there's a lot of females and there's a lot of uh different representation for all kinds of genres and everything is just a big melting pot and that's really cool but yeah especially at the time there's been a lot of audiences where maybe I don't seem like I fit in I look like some sort of skater girl they're like who's this you know especially back then I didn't even have like any no tattoos I didn't even look alternative I just looked like some like uh like I'd be some girl at the mall or something that they'd be like, who's this Avril Lavigne looking at <laughs> looking girl. Um, so I noticed one thing that I did a lot was I would, I would make it so that my track would start. Like I would have an intro before I would come out and I wouldn't even come out. till I'm already rapping. Like mm. there's no, they can't see me and then be like, what, like think in their mind, right. what is this girl going to do? Like I come out already rapping and I usually put one of my faster raps as the first song. So it's like right away, like in their face, like what the fuck, you know? <laughs> um, so they didn't have time to like think anything before hearing it at the same time. Like right. their mind had to work on both, like hearing it and seeing it at the same time rather than like, oh, I bet she's going to sound like this or I bet she's going to sound like that. Like they had to see it all at once. Um, so that was kind of my approach uh, uh, every show. And it still is. I just come out right away rapping. Um, so there's no like bullshit at, uh, and guessing games as to right. what it's going to sound like or be. And and a lot of times that has worked for me because they're like, what? They can't even form an opinion until they hear it. So yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, don't let them judge you before you start. Yeah, that's a great tactic. Wow. yeah okay so i want to get back to the music you have coming out because i really like that you talked about how you have time now or you've had time over the last year to kind of you know live your life and become more grounded and have some time you know just with you with yourself do you feel like the music that's coming out is more representative of you or like it's a better version of you or how do you feel about the music you have uh coming out soon yeah i think <laughs> And it's so crazy cliche because I know you every artist that's like, this is my best yet. This is my best yet every <laughs> yeah. time. But that's actually a really good thing because it means they're getting better every single time. I think there's like some sort of saying that's like, you know, if you're a painter, take your first thousand paintings and just throw them away. Right. Like it takes you this long to become good at something <sighs> like it really does. I'm sure there's people that have a lot of natural talent out there that can right away start something and maybe be naturally good at it but you're always able to get better and it takes you a while sometimes even if someone's a really good singer or a really good MC, that doesn't mean they know their style right. it doesn't mean that they uh, like know who they are and what their message is and what they represent so you you only get better and you grow and you have different experiences and like anything else you look back at some of your first earliest things and you're like what the heck was that <laughs> like I do that all the time I look back on stuff when I was way young especially because I was already recording and putting things on the internet when I was like 14 15 like so of course I look back on stuff like that I'm like what was I doing what was I thinking I couldn't rap yet like why did I put that online but I get that fans like to see the progression so a lot of things I have just left up there because I'm like you know what like I can't, you can't get things really down right. off the internet once it's there and <laughs> fans at least will hopefully be able to see that there's such a difference from then and now. Right. Okay. So we got the, uh, the singles coming out. Um, and then you're going to get back on, <laughs> on the road a little bit coming this fall. What, what do yeah. you see for your future? And I guess, do you plan out like a roadmap or, you know, two-year plan or five-year plan, or what do you see moving forward after that? Um, it's hard because things, things change so quickly in the music industry. Right. Like before, like if you come up with a five-year plan in five <laughs> years, I don't even, are we even going to be putting out songs anymore? Is it just going to be 10 second clips for <laughs> <On> TikTok, TikTok <laughs> and songs are going to be 10 seconds long, <laughs> right. you know? So I, it's hard to say uh, five years, but as long as I'm still making a living doing what I do, I'll be really excited about that because I'm 
very fortunate to be able to, you know, pay my bills with music and to, to live off this. And of course, I'm going to shoot for the most success I can. And I want to be a massive artist like most artists want to be. But uh, also, I understand that only 1% of people who make music even live off of their music. Mm. And then out of that 1%, how many are just living off of it? And how many right. are like the massive, massive artists, A-list celebrities that we know? Um, you know, point whatever, whatever, 1%, you know, so it's like, uh, I'll be really, really stoked if, you know, I can sit with you in five years and be like, yeah, I'm still living off of this. I'm paying my rent with uh, my streaming money and this and that. The arena tour went really well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I hung off the rafters of the arena. <laughs> yeah. <crazy. laughs> wow. Yeah. Okay. That's awesome. Whitney, um, thank you so much for taking the time. It was great getting to finally connect with you and, and learn a little bit more about your life. And I'm excited for the singles. Um, so yeah, the Give It Gas comes out this Friday. Um, the video is coming out the next weekend. And then you have the remix already planned uh, with some yep. uh, some hidden features. So I'm excited for that. But um, again, thank you for taking the time. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks. See you right. soon. Peace out. Thanks Bye. for having me.